Christchurch, New Malden, 1st of December 2019, 9.30 service. Nathan Larkin speaking on where to find God this Christmas in the concerts, plays and nativities. That's better. Well, it's that time again, 1st of December today, the first Advent candle is lit. And more importantly, even possibly, it's socially acceptable to have your Christmas lights up to listen to Christmas music in the car, and maybe even to get away with a jumper like this. But I don't know about you, but I just, I just love Christmas. I love all of it. I love the celebrations. I love the gifts, the singing, the food. What's not to love? Well, not everyone feels that way. Perhaps you're not like me. Perhaps you're thinking, Christmas, oh, again, really? There's not enough time, too many things to do, so stressful. But you know, as Christians, as Stephen mentioned, one of the things that we're asked to do is to look for God in every part of our lives. But ironically, in this run-up to Christmas, this time that's supposed to be focused on Jesus, it can actually be one of the toughest times to do this. We're surrounded by so much busyness and stress. So over the next few weeks, as Stephen said, we're going to slow things down a little We're going to take a look at a couple of different aspects of things that we do during the Christmas season, and we're going to think about where God might be found in them. So where is God in all of the parties? Where is God in the mad rush and the organizing? And this morning, we're going to have a look at where God might be, where we might see God in the concerts, the plays, and the nativities, especially the nativities we attend. Now, I have to admit that, you know, my daughter Emily, she's only two, but she's got her first Christmas concert next week at preschool, and I am more excited about it than I probably should be, but there's just something about this time of year, and the way we celebrate that so resonates with people. So, I thought I'd start with a question, and this is for everyone, not just you guys up here at the front, but hands up if you can remember being in a nativity play, okay? So, yeah, I thought we'd have lots of hands down here, and clearly, people's memories back there are better than I thought. So, yeah, lots of, lots of people been in a nativity play. I think I was an, an innkeeper. I think my line was, sorry, no room. That, that was, uh, that was my, the extent of my acting ability. But nativity plays, they are such an uncomplicated source of joy. And I think they might be unique in being the only stage production where the disasters are more warmly applauded than the triumphs. I read about a few of them this week, like the story of this girl, a Virgin Mary played by a reluctant girl called Sophie. And she'd been allowed to use her favorite doll as the baby. And when the angel Gabriel announced the Christ child's name, Sophie loudly objected. It's not called Jesus, it's called Annabelle. (laughs) My favorite one though, my favorite nativity blooper of them all, is this story about some wise men who get their lines scrambled. Three young boys come in, four-year-olds, all dressed with, of course, the traditional Middle Eastern tea towels on their heads, and they put these boxes down one by one. The first boy says, I bring you gold, which was his line, so it's all good so far. The second boy says, I bring you myrrh, which sounds right, except what he had done was say the third boy's line. So when the third boy stepped up, he finally spoke up and he decided, well, he'd at least have a crack at the second boy's line. And he declared confidently, Frank sent this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this that's a true story, apparently. Um, 
But you know, as adults, we can, we can laugh and we can grin gleefully at those sort of mistakes because we know, we trust that soon the children will, like us, know that beloved story off by heart. But unfortunately, we can no longer take it for granted that our children will be taught any part of this Christian story in school. According to a poll by NetMums, uh, I think last year, it said nearly half of all schools have scrapped the traditional nativity play for an updated version. Quite what that means, I'm not exactly sure. But you know, we see carols replaced by sort of tinny pop songs and religious figures dropped in favor of Santa or Rudolph, or even in one school I heard about, dressing up as Premier League footballers to somehow celebrate Christmas. I, I don't get it, but anyway. It's, it's kind of depressing to think that one of the remaining sources of spirituality and meaning at Christmas is, is being eroded. But there are a few more touching things in this world than a group of tiny little kids singing away in a manger. You know, a row of Elvises and David Beckhams boogieing to Santa Claus is coming to town just doesn't quite have that same seasonal magic, does it? And I think if we don't take seriously our responsibility to look for God in our Christmas celebrations, then we may find in a few generations that our children are more likely to think that once in Royal David City is a reality TV show about life with the Beckhams. <laughs> so if that's the challenge, that's what we don't want to get to, where do we start? And I think what we're going to do this morning and I'm going to need some volunteers from you guys down at the front. And uh, so I'm going to be especially, while I'm speaking, I'm going to be keeping an eye out for those who are listening carefully and paying attention. And perhaps some of you can come to help. Because what I thought is if we want to find God in our concerts, in our plays, and in our nativities, I think there's no better place to start than by looking at a few of the characters in them and seeing what they might teach us. Not only about who God is, but also about how these traditions might bring us closer to him. So, first up, I'm going to need one boy and one girl, preferably for you to be willing to read a little bit. Have we got any volunteers for that? Yeah, do you want to come up? So we've got our Mary, and we need a Joseph. Yep, okay. Now, it would not be a nativity if we didn't have costumes to dress up in, okay? So if you guys go to Diana here, she will help. Maybe Diana can get Mary, and I will get Joseph ready here. No tea towels, unfortunately, but, uh, but this will have to do. <laughs> there we go. Well, there you go. That's as good a reason as any to not, uh, to not wear them. Okay, so Mary, do you want to step up? I am going to hold this up for you, and you can read your line. I've just seen an angel, and you won't believe what he told me. He said, don't be afraid, Mary. God has sent, chosen you to give birth to his son, and you should call him Jesus. Wow, a little round of applause. Brilliant. Okay, and here is our Joseph. Wow, well done, what a start. Okay, thank you guys. So I'm going to be calling on you guys a little bit later, but for now, if you want to go back down, grab a seat, get yourselves comfortable again. Mary and Joseph, where better to start? Um, see, there we are. What a couple. In many ways, completely ordinary. Nothing to make them stand out from the crowd. But God chose them. 
And where can we find God in this first interaction? Well, I think that what God makes really clear from the start of this story is that family really matters. Family is really important. He's about to send his son into the world as a weak and vulnerable baby. And what does he send his angels to say? To Mary and to Joseph, become a family and look after this baby. That's their message. And you see, family is right here at the heart of Christmas. And it's one of the really important ways that we see God in these special moments at nativity plays or concerts. These things, Christmas generally, but these things especially bring families together. These plays, these concerts, they bring family together. Now, that doesn't mean that, that it'll be easy. In fact, getting people together is just the, the beginning. In fact, I even imagine that there will be a few people here this morning who are already sort of dreading the prospect of having all the extended family under one roof. But even with that in mind, right at the beginning from, of God's story, right at the beginning we see that he's committed to using families to bless the world. We see Abraham and Sarah we see Jacob and his 12 sons. God uses families, messed up families, yes, but families all the same. And that's the wonderful opportunity we have at these plays. We come together as a family. We feel that pride as we watch our children stand up and deliver their line. We share the photos and the videos on our wider family WhatsApp group. And Christmas, it just is a time for family. Where does Mary go when she's in a bit of a muddle with all of this crazy news that's going on? She goes to her relative, Elizabeth, who reassures her and looks after her. But it's important to say that if families are important, then it should also be said that that means Christmas will be a really difficult time for many people as well. And perhaps our challenge this morning is to widen our definition of family and to look out for those who may be lonely this Christmas, for those whose family doesn't bring all of the happy memories that we have. Mary and Joseph welcomed Jesus into their family, and we see that every time we go to a nativity play. So who might we need to share our family with this Christmas? So these guys have sat down, time for a couple more volunteers, this time I'm looking for a shepherd and a wise man. I don't think any particular gender matters. We can have wise women and, and female shepherds these days. It's 2019. So any more volunteers? Aha. Would you like to come up? Oh, I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> That's fine. Um, any, any other volunteers to come up? Oh, guys, I'm going to have to like select someone. You, you're going to have to come up. Come on. Oh, you've already done your share for today? Oh, sorry, you do. Oh, you've already, you're a Mary already. So, um, yeah. Uh, okay, I think we may have to move on to some adults then. That's fair enough. I've got one very excited looking Ali Warner at the back here. You're just gutted that you didn't volunteer for Mary. That's the problem. It's, uh... Oh, you, Stephen. We'll use Stephen in a moment if, we, if we're really stuck. So we have our shepherd. And we have our wise woman. Here we go. Do you want to? <laughs> yeah, it should, hopefully. There we go. So let's start with our shepherd reading her line. We 
out in the fields as usual when an angel appeared. We weren't terrified, but the angel said, don't be afraid. He said that he, he said that he really had good news, and he really did, because that day in Bethlehem, the new king was born, the Messiah, Jesus. Okay, round of applause. Well done for our shepherd and our wise man. Woman. Thank you. <laughs> when we arrived at the house, we saw the child with his parents, and we bowed down and worshipped him. Then we opened our treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, thank you guys. You can, you can take your seat, but maybe if you keep your, your uh, costume on for now, we might need to call you back up at the end for a moment, okay? So be ready. So, shepherds and wise people. <laughs> Jesus had some visitors. So what? Does it matter? Shepherds and wise men, what, what does it matter? Well, it really does matter because of who those visitors were. At that time, sheep farmers were generally seen as having low or little value by other people. Nobody paid much attention to who, these guys who sort of smelled like sheep and lived on the outskirts of town. They didn't have refined social skills. They couldn't bring expensive gifts. They were just regular guys, just like me, maybe you. They were, even though unimportant to many, still a big player in this greatest drama of all of history. And they serve as an important reminder that the story of Christmas is not just for the world's elite. Jesus was born for everyday people like you and me. There's also quite a challenge to the Christian community in the story of the wise men as well. You see, the wise men weren't Jews, and most Jews wouldn't have associated with people of other faiths. But this new King Jesus, he wasn't born surrounded by Jewish dignitaries and celebrities at his birth. No, in fact, he wasn't even kept in the confines of a strictly Jewish community. Nor did his family or God prevent him from being exposed to or influencing Gentile culture. Because when he was young, the child and the family, as we know what happens next, they had to run away and live in Egypt among non-Jews. No. So right there from the early years of Jesus' life, he was open to non-Jews, outsiders, astrologers, wise men. Now, surely that's not a picture that we can ignore. Exclusivity doesn't seem to be an option. And if God didn't allow his son to be closeted away and protected, then God hardly expects his people to be any different. So whether it's people who others view as different or beneath them, like the shepherds, or those from a different culture, perhaps those who are different from us, like the wise men, the message of Christmas is that God is for everyone. And we see this wonderfully displayed in these amazing nativity plays. Everybody has a role, no matter how tenuous. They find a role for everyone, whether you are a star, a sheep, a cloud, or a narrator. Everyone has a part. Everyone is included. And I think when we see that, we can be reminded that as Christians, that's how God wants us to be. And as we journey towards Christmas, let's try to generously accept everyone, trusting that like the wise men, they will receive something from the wonder of Jesus at this time of year, 
but also not forgetting that we may benefit from their gifts and their culture as well. And that leads us quite nicely onto our next character, or characters, but I only need one volunteer for this, because probably one of the side effects of having to find roles for so many different people is that we see all sorts of new characters inserted or minor roles in the story elevated. People like the innkeeper, or the star, or the Christmas lobster, or even the donkey. Now, who wants to be my donkey? Yeah, you can be a donkey. Up you come. And this is an easy one, because you've just got a, a lovely donkey hat to put on. Perfect. <laughs> but, as you may guess, the donkey isn't a speaking role. Uh, it's certainly not in the Bible. So you don't have to worry about reading anything out. Because the donkey actually isn't even mentioned in the Bible story. I haven't actually got anything for them to read. But that doesn't mean that the donkey isn't a really, really important part. Because what we get with all of these different types of characters is that along with the humor and the fun and the excitement, there's often quite a strong message about the way in which the coming of Jesus transforms people's lives. You get stories like that of a grumpy innkeeper who is changed by witnessing the birth of Jesus, or an accident-prone angel transformed by landing the key role in delivering the news of Jesus' birth. Then there's the donkey who, who perhaps really wished that he was a horse who carried a king, or the story of a star who couldn't shine. They're basically all sort of Christian versions of the story of Rudolph, um, but simple and actually quite moving messages that children can easily pick up and therefore act out, which shows the way that God's light coming into the world in Jesus can really touch individual lives and bring a grace that can somehow help us to become changed people. So let's give a round of applause for our donkey. You can keep your donkey hat for now, and I'll maybe bring you back up after. Is that okay? Thank you very much. You can go and sit down for now. You can hang on to it for a minute. You see, these stories, all of them, they're contained in almost every nativity play, and they remind us of God's desire for redemption. There's usually a character who is left out or who constantly messes up, and they find that because of Jesus' arrival, they can now become included that because of Jesus, they are free to be truly loved and accepted. And we see surprising strength in what others think is weakness. God working in ways that are what no one expects. And these characters then step forward, the donkey, the star. It's their time to shine. And that's just like what's happening with the kids involved in the plays as well. This is their moment, their time to shine. And I think that can remind us that this is just like Jesus. His time had come. And Christmas is where we start to see the final stages of God's rescue plan for the world put into action. And it's not what anyone expected. It wasn't a show of strength or might. It was a message that love and redemption will ultimately be how evil is overthrown. So that's our donkey. And now we need one final volunteer to be an angel. Who would like to be an angel? This is the one that gets the wings as well. Anybody? Would you like to be an angel? 
No, okay. Any, oh, oh, you're already, unfortunately, one of the characters. So perhaps we can get an, an adult angel. Any adult angels? Oh, yeah, you can come. Okay, so Diana will get you all angelified. And we've got some lovely pink wings for you. No! <laughs> I should have mentioned that first. <laughs> okay, we may need an adult. I think uh, Tim is looking like he's very angelic today. So would you like to step up and get some pink wings? <laughs> now, this is for an infant. I don't know whether it will actually go on, but let's see. Yep. Oh, the wings will be fine. I wear them at home all the time. Um, so, there we go. And if we can give a little spin for everyone to get a decent view of our angel. There we go. Do you want to do a little twirl? Yes, lovely. But you do have a line. So, here we go. I'll get you a microphone. We angels were there too. And not just a few of us, loads of us. We sang and sang and sang praises at the top of our voices. We sang glory to God in the heavenly heights and peace to all the men and women on earth. Okay, another round of applause for our angel. Thank you, Tim. Oh, you might need some. Yeah, no, I think you could keep the costume on for a little bit longer. <laughs> um, but you see, angels, they pop up all over the nativity story. They're God's messengers. But my favorite moment is what we just heard the angel talking about. They burst into song. And we don't know the names of many of the angels or how many of them there were. But in the Bible, it implies that there were as many as the eye could see. So many that the sky lit up with their presence. And they all joined together to praise this newborn king. What an amazing experience that must have been. And yet, 2,000 years later, we still gather together to sing praises to Jesus. And I think that's a really important thing that the angels in the story can help us to reflect on at Christmas. In the midst of the hustle and the bustle, the shopping, the cooking, these plays and these concerts give us an opportunity to slow down, to reflect to listen to the music, to sing the songs, and to join together. And not joining together only with those who are sitting around us, but with millions and millions of Christians throughout the world, and countless Christians throughout history who have sang these carols and these songs of celebration together. As I said, angel simply means messenger. And I think the challenge to us when we see the angels in these stories this Christmas is that the same message those angels proclaimed back then on that first Christmas is still true today. Jesus has come, and therefore, there is hope and joy for the world, for everyone. There's a chance for peace one day. And because of Jesus, there's hope for us. Now, that is a message worth singing about, a message worth praising God for and celebrating. And like the angels and the wise men and the shepherds did, that's a message worth spreading. But I want to finish with this little guy right here, almost never played by an actual child, usually a rather strange-looking little doll wrapped up in some cloths. Now, where does Jesus go in the story? Where does Jesus go in the midst of this nativity scene? Right in the center 
And that, more than anything else, I think, is what we get from going to these plays and these concerts and these nativities at this time of year. We get a reframing of the picture with Jesus at the center. I remember one of the first Christmases I went home back to Ireland after I'd moved here. My little niece and nephew were really quite young, and I remember they were so excited. It was Christmas Eve, and out on my sister's fireplace was this beautiful nativity scene, and they had had admired it all day, but my little nephew was really quite, I'm going to set this down because it feels weird, Um, but my little nephew was really agitated trying to get his mum's attention before he went to bed, and his mum was saying, look, I'm speaking just a second, and eventually he couldn't take it any longer, and he shouts out, Mummy, we need to move Jesus out of the way so Santa can get down the chimney. And, you know, that's, that's, that was a funny moment, but it was quite poignant because it can be so easy at this time of year to lose sight of the very thing that we're celebrating. But let's allow ourselves some time this year to slow down and to reframe that picture. Perhaps when we next see a nativity play or even look at a nativity scene, we might think about Mary and Joseph and God's heart for extending his love this Christmas through family. Maybe when we look at the shepherds and the wise men, we'll remember that Jesus' love is for everyone. And let's reflect even on the comedy characters, like the donkey, and think of the fact that God is all about redemption and second chances. And as we sing our carols and join with the angels in worship, may we remember this is genuinely a message worth celebrating. But most of all, Let's be reminded to keep Jesus at the center because he truly is the reason for it all.